Good morning. I've enjoyed uh, a couple Sundays off. I'll admit that. Okay. Um, as you all understand, with a job, um, it's good to take a break, to get refreshed, refocused. And uh, in the two Sundays that I've had off, not here, I'll say this: I'm ready to be back. I'm ready to get back into preaching and uh, teaching and sharing God's word. And that's, I think, part of the excitement for me is not only do I get a break and okay, just back off a little bit, but I get really juiced about coming back and sharing God's Word. So, set your watches. 12.30, we'll be out of here right on time for the afternoon lunch, okay? Um, no, we won't be that long. But I am excited about being back. Miss you all. And, uh, and I hope and pray that you've been blessed by different people that we brought in through the month of June to come and share, uh, whether it's Todd or Jim or Dan or whoever it may be. Um, a lot of different people. Now, we're not done yet. Uh, we've got two more Sundays, one in July and one in August. We've got guest speakers coming in. Uh, I, I'll still be here, but the guest speakers that are coming in, I'm telling you, I can't wait to hear them um, share God's Word. It's going to be incredible. Dan's already mentioned Mark Cahill, and, um, you know, if you don't know anything about Mark Cahill, um, he was teammates with Charles Barkley back in college, okay? And when he left college, God called him into ministry full-time. And all he does now is have a passion for sharing Christ with others and teaching others how to share their faith. I mean, he has shared his faith with Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, you name it, uh, Joe Schmo down at the coffee shop. Whoever he sees, he feels God's call to make sure they know who Jesus Christ is. That's incredible. That's intimidating for me. I want you to hear that, okay? Because some of you are like, well, if he comes here, I mean, I'm... Oh, I'm going to be embarrassed if you ask me how many people I've shared Christ with. Let me tell you something. It's intimidating for me, okay? I'm not, I don't go around naturally just, you know, it isn't like, hey, let me tell you about my faith in Christ with every person I meet. It's just not natural for me. I've got to work at that, okay? It is for Mark. So part of me is saying, ooh, this could be embarrassing. As the pastor of this church, you know, for Mark to sit down with me, I know we're going to have some one-on-ones, and uh, to talk about how I'm doing with sharing my faith. So, you think you're intimidated? Brothers and sisters, let me tell you. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be a little intimidated, but I'm excited because I need that accountability, just as you do. So we, we got Mark coming in because as I shared back on May 5, we got two non-negotiables in this church. One is evangelism and two is discipleship. We've got to get better at it, okay? So today starts the beginning of our discipleship, okay? Today is the beginning of D90X. Like that? D90X. All right, let's get on. No, we're not going to get on the exercise outfits. Um, and that sounds a little weird, but let me tell you why it's D90X, okay? I want you to understand this. I'll never forget when Colin attended a baseball clinic about three years ago. He was uh, back in junior high. We went over to this baseball clinic, and he was really frustrated, I remember, because he was not throwing as fast as he felt he should be throwing as a pitcher. And uh, his coach at this clinic suggested, hey, all you pitchers, Instead of getting in the weight room and bench pressing and doing all this and bulking up, I really suggest that you do P90X, okay, that exercise program. And um, so on the way home that night, I know Colin was, he was, he was uh, obviously visibly frustrated. I could see it. And he kept asking, very persistent, Dad, can, can we get P90X, please? Can we get it? And um, as much as I wanted to help him, we didn't have the money. Now, you may not sound like a lot of money to you, but four payments of $30 uh, every month, $120. Um, no, we didn't have that in our budget. Um, not there. 
But I could see he was visibly, visibly distraught and he was upset. We got home, I went down to my office and um, he came downstairs into my office and put $30 on my desk and said, I'll, I'll make the first payment. And when I saw that commitment by him, we said, let's figure this out. So we made the purchase. Now, he wasn't fully committed to doing those workouts though until last year. When August rolled around, he made this firm commitment to be doing the P90X workout and it definitely made him stronger. But here's what happened. He paid a price and he made a commitment. Think about this. Paid a price, made a commitment. He pulled money out of his own pocket, out of his own savings to say, I want to invest in this. And then, even though the first year he wasn't really committed to it, it was a couple years later, then he's like, I'm fully committed to it every day. Um, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm going to work out. And uh, in the same way, this is what I'm saying to you as a church. This D90X was discipleship for 90 days. I'm asking for you to pay a price and make a commitment. All of us. Okay? All of us. None of us are exempt from this. And uh, I know it sounds way too familiar to P90X being D90X, but that's about as creative as I could come up with. Okay? And I don't plan on it being as physically intense as, or spiritually intense as P90X is physically intense. But I do expect us to exert ourselves, to commit to something, to make uh, a, a, a sort of a, a cost of, and a commitment. We've got to invest in it one way or another. So our goal here, I want you to understand this, our goal is to not to walk around like spiritual buffs, okay? You know what I'm saying? It's to walk around saying, I am so spiritually fit right now, I can take you down, okay? This is what our goal is. Because we can get very confused and get very caught up in the programs and the sermon in a box type thing and, and say this is what we got to do, step one, step two. Listen, we're talking, our goal here is transform lives. To be holy as Christ is holy. And that's something you really can't measure with a measuring stick, okay? You can't look in the mirror and say, wow, I am looking D90X, okay? You can't do that. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform. Let me hear you say transform. Let God transform you into a new person. Let me hear you say new person. Let's say this again. Transform, new person. Paul says in the book of Romans that that's where it starts. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. No, 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 no. Let God transform you into a new person by the way you think. Then you'll know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing. Galatians 6.15 says this. It doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts, listen to me, what counts is whether we've been transformed into a new creation. Let me hear you say that again. Transform, new creation. <clears throat> Paul saying it again. This is what matters. We need to be transformed into new creations, into a new person. That's our goal. So 90 days, when I say, okay, D, discipleship, 90 days, 90 days is no special time, okay? It's not magical. It's like, okay, after 90 days, I should see this. It might be nine days. It might be 900 days for some of us, okay? It's not a measuring stick. It's not a magical number. It's a journey. Journeys take time. And during this 90-day journey, we pray 
as I started to pray this morning, that transformation begins now. That we lean in towards God's Spirit. That being said, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we're just going to pause right now. We want to hear from your Spirit. Lord, we're not going to be into some kind of special program. <coughs> some magical plan. We want to be in your word. We want your spirit within us to change us, to transform us. So Lord, I'm asking right now is that we all just stop whatever's going on in our hearts and our minds that's trying to pull us away from being focused and that we focus in on your word. <clears throat> Lord, we pray for transformation. We pray that as we start off being focused on, on being discipled, that it's your word, that it's your spirit that's working in us. Lord, we love you. And we ask now, Lord, that you just speak through this message. It's not my words, but it's your words. In thy name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> like anything that we do, physically, spiritually, there's a connection. If we were to, let's say, pull out the old P90X or pull out any kind of workout program you want, okay? Some of you have different workout programs. Here, here's the ground rules, right? You've got to have ground rules. First thing is you've got to be committed, okay? Repeat after me. Commit. You've got to be committed to this. How many of you have exercise tape? Don't raise your hands, okay? Exercise equipment, bands, weights. <clears throat> machines um, sitting around collecting dust right now, okay? Don't raise your hands, okay? Because I'm going to guess a lot of you do. There's a difference between being involved and committed. I've said this before. Here's the difference between involved and commitment. Ham and eggs, okay? The pig, oh, he's, he's committed. He's the ham, okay? The chicken, he's just involved, laid the eggs. Chicken's still alive, right? pig's gone. That's the difference between being committed and involved. We're talking commitment here. Okay? Here's the second thing. Repeat after me. Assess your readiness. Oh, one more time. Okay, I know. Assess your readiness. Very good. Let me ask you this. Are you ready to work out? If you were to pick up some of these exercise things, they say consult your physician first, right? Make sure you're able to do it. <clears throat> so let's talk to the right person before you start doing it, okay? Here's the third thing. Pay a price. Repeat after me. Pay a price. You've got to pay a price. There's always a cost. There's a financial commitment to this. You can't just look on those infomercials on TV and say, just call 1-800-93-whatever and get it for free. There's a cost. There's monthly installments, okay? Here's the fourth thing. Allow time. Repeat after me. Allow time. You've got to allow time. <clears throat> you got to allow time to take place before you see the results. It's not like you work out and you go in front of the mirror and you're like, come on. I just did one workout. It took me 30 minutes and this is all? I'm out of here. Okay? You got a lot of time. Here's the last thing. Repeat after me. It won't be easy. 
No, soreness and sweat, it's all part of the daily sacrifice. That, those are the ground rules when you start a physical workout, right? Now listen, I want you to understand this about this discipling that we're going to be doing. First of all, in the same way, non-negotiable here, okay? We need to commit. We need to commit to this. If you want to be a disciple of Christ, you want to be a follower of Christ, you have to commit to it. You can't say, well, I'm just going to be involved. But you've got to commit to this. This isn't a program. It isn't a piece of equipment. It's a chartered journey. It's a daily choice to walk in the same direction that Jesus walked. It is commitment. You have to make that commitment. I can't make it for you. I can't say, hey, Steve, you're committed to this. I've got you, okay? Steve's got to make that commitment, right? I can't go to Doug. Doug, you've got to be committed to this, and I'm, I'm holding you accountable. Okay. No, he's got to still commit to that, even though I want to hold him accountable. Okay? Then you've got to prepare. Before you start each day, when you wake up, pray. Find that secluded place. Turn off all electronics. Get away from the world and say, if I'm committed to you today, Lord, I've got to, I've got to get ready. I've got to prepare. You don't just go to the gym and just run in there with your jeans on and your work clothes on and just work out. You prepare yourself for a workout. You've got to prepare yourself spiritually. Pay a price. Listen. To live for Christ, you have to give up some things. If we're going to choose to live for Christ, we've got to give up some of our time. We've got to give up some of our money, because after all, it isn't ours to begin with. We've got to give up certain things, comforts, that we like, oh, this is, this is for me, right? Certain things you're going to have to give up. Basically, anything that involves self. We've got to give up. Okay, here's the fourth thing. Be patient. We said it's a growing process, right? You may not see immediate results, but if you choose to follow Jesus, you will see a change. More importantly, other people will see a change in you. I got an email from somebody this week in the church that said, hey, can we do lunch uh, here in the next week? I want to get together with you and a person that I work with because, this, is, this was really cool, because this change in their life spiritually, the person at work saw their life change, and they said, I see a change in your life. What's going on? Well, let me tell you what's going on in my life spiritually. Matter of fact, how about my pastor and I sit down with you and share this? People see change in you. <clears throat> Here's the last one. Get tough. This will not be easy. You'll want to give up. You'll want to spiritually give up at days. And you say, really, God? I, is this really worth it? That's why God gave you his very own spirit to dwell within you, to equip you, to encourage you, to empower you to live a victorious life. Even though it seems like 90% of the time we're living a defeated life. Which is why we're also going to pair up with another person in the church. Ooh, no, let that sit for a while. Some of you are going to be sitting now the rest of the sermon thinking, who can I pair up with in the church? First of all, they can't be in your house. Okay? I'm laying some ground rules here. Okay? So, Husbands, wives, sorry, your spouse is not your accountability partner for this, for this one. You can still share with them. Go for it. But you've got to find somebody outside your house. And am I going to limit it to just somebody in this church? Not necessarily. If you've got a close friend um, that you, you, know, you are able to share with spiritual things and they're on the same track as you, and they go to another church or somewhere else, that's fine. Go for it. I'm okay with that. <coughs> Excuse me. But you've got to pair up with somebody. Now, I could pass out three-by-five cards and make you fill that out now, but I'm going to give you this week to pray about it, okay? And pick somebody, all right? 1 
Or those of you like, okay, I'm not coming back next week because he's going to ask. Oh, I'll track you down, okay? I've got a directory with all your addresses. Whether you fill them on out or put them in there, we know where to find you, okay? Pick somebody. Find somebody. I told you, this is non-negotiable, okay? That means I find somebody too. You can ask me who my person's going to be, okay? Now, will this work? Will we actually get spiritually in shape, become more like Christ? I hope so. I pray so. That's what we've been praying for, right? This isn't a purchase a message in a box, okay? This isn't a give it to everybody in a little series, all packaged up nicely, and, you know, we'll put some great clip art up there or something. This is a dig in the very words of God journey. Strap on the sandals that the disciples strapped on. Walk through the dust. Cry. Laugh. Celebrate. And it begins with understanding what is true. Repeat after me. What is true? Well, I'm glad you asked me what is true. Let me tell you what's true, okay? I believe, according to the evidence seen and not seen, okay, that the Bible's true. There's a lot of evidence saying that this is true. And there's other evidence that I can't see that I don't know about, but I believe it's true. This has got to be true for me. I also understand that knowing truth isn't good enough, okay? I know that I must work out the strength of my muscles, okay? I understand that. Knowing the value of exercise and actually doing the exercise are two different things. You follow me on this one? How many of you in here think it's a good thing to work out, to exercise in some form or manner? Raise your hand. How many of you think that's a good thing? Come on, everybody, everybody that believes it, okay? Now, put your hands down. I'm not going to have you raise your hands. Now, how many of you actually do that? Would you all raise your hands again? Okay? Most of you, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. I know this. I have to put in the motion, the exercise to obtain the full value of the truth. I know it's true for me to exercise to have good health, but to do it is another thing. In the same way, the Bible applies to the Bible as well. I believe that this is true, but if I don't exercise myself into God's Word, what does that matter? I can talk about this being true all day long, but if I don't exercise truth, then I really, do I really believe it? Sometimes the problem is maybe not knowing the truth. Maybe sometimes it's just that I don't accept the truth. I don't agree with the truth. And for others, sometimes it's not exercising the truth. And that is, I believe it, I agree with it, I do it. Are you following me here? There's different levels there. You see, truth causes change. If I believe it's true and I agree that it's true and I act on what is true, I will change. If I believe it's true but I don't agree that it's true and I don't act on that it's true, I won't change. Bottom of the line is, the longer I avoid truth, the longer it will take for me to change. I must accept the truth. I must agree with the truth. I must exercise the truth for me to be transformed. Now, what's happened today is that truth is distorted. One out of six Christians, let's do this. Let's do this. Let me just pick six, okay? Let's go right there. Dave, your row right there. One, two, three, four, five, and six. Sally, you'd be the last one. If you all could stand right there, the six of you. Okay. Put you all on the spot, okay? Six of you. Say six Christians, one out of six. Now, I want you all now, see every all six? This represents all the believers in Christ. Okay. You five sit down. Sally, you remain standing, please. Only one out of six Christians today, listen, that's 16%. Only one out of six Christians today believe that the Bible is absolute truth. 
Thanks, Sally. You can have a seat. That's Christians. That's not America. That's Christians. People who say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Only one out of six actually believe that this is absolute truth. A little scary? Let me give you an example. We know that stealing is wrong, right? To take something that does not belong to me for myself, that is wrong. Now, there are people, though, unfortunately, that don't adhere to that truth. Even though, to me, that is absolute truth, that is wrong, I should not steal, there are people that say, well, yeah, I, I believe it, but I don't agree with it. It's going to benefit me, right? I, I heard this story that happened last week. Three people went up to, uh, drove through a Taco Bell in uh, Michigan, western Michigan. They got something more than they thought. I don't know whether they ordered uh, burritos or tacos or cheesy gordita crunch. I don't know what they ordered. But what they got was two bags. The, the person at the window took two bags and handed it to them, and they drove off. They, they just got a little ways down the road, and they opened up the bags, and it wasn't gordita crunch. It wasn't chili cheese burrito. It was $3,600 in cash. Yeah, oops, that was supposed to be deposited at the bank, and they just deposited it into that car. Now, that's an amazing thing, right? The money was actually returned a short time later. I want you to know there was an 18-year-old, a 20-year-old, and they didn't give the age of the other one. Um, but I'm guessing a minor because they didn't give the age. But they said they brought the money back and they said this, we thought about keeping the money, but we decided we would feel guilty if we didn't return it. Now, key word guilty is when God's Spirit starts speaking to you and saying that's wrong, that's what we call being guilty, okay? We know that it's not right because the truth is stealing's wrong. They said this, I thought it was a joke. I thought we were on camera. The store manager literally burst out in tears. She was so happy we brought it back. The money was in a store bag, in a Taco Bell bag, that was going to be taken to the bank to be deposited. Incredible, right? Now, here's the thing. Fortunately, they knew the truth, they agreed with the truth, and they exercised the truth. Fortunately. Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. Now, to some, truth is convenient only if it helps them. Oh, I'll agree with it if it benefits me. If it doesn't make me feel bad, right? Now, if it goes against my desires and pleasures, oh, well, I'll take my chances. But the Bible tells us, listen, the Bible tells us that people deliberately go against the truth. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 5, listen to this. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth, making fun of the truth following their own desires. They'll say, well, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything's remained the same since the world was first created. Peter goes on to say this, they deliberately forgot that God made the heavens by the words of his command. They deliberately forgot. They said, you know what? God made this world? No, I'm not going to believe that anymore. They deliberately forgot it. It goes on to say in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 21, we know that people suppress the truth with their wickedness. In other words, they restrain it, they hold it down with their wickedness and say, I don't want this. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Listen to this. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. 
For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. Did you hear that? God's made himself visible to all of us. Plain as daylight, God is real. God is true. But they chose not to worship him. They deliberately took truth and said, no thanks. Now let me ask you this. How wise is that? How foolish is that? To take truth and not listen to it. I think you'd all agree with me that it is not very wise. So if I were to present an exercise program to you and said, here's all the benefits, here's the truth to working out physically, for those of you with high blood pressure, for those of you that uh, have all these health issues that are like, well, if I just went walking for 30 minutes a day, according to the doctor, I'd feel better and I'd start to get better. Truth, right? So we have this truth about us physically, but if we don't agree with it and don't accept it, are we foolish or are we wise? Probably foolish. If we know we should do this to help us, right? Truth is God's given us something to help us to be stronger spiritually. Truth. Now, to accept it or reject it, it's our choice. To accept it, to agree with it, to exercise it. Foolish or wise? Be wise. That's why we're doing this. John 8, 32, Jesus said this, and you know the truth. The truth will set you free, right? That's what the words of Jesus. But Jesus went on to say this in John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. Jesus said, I'm going to send you my spirit. You see, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, he gives us his Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. God's spirit leads us into truth. John 17, 17 says this. This is actually Jesus was praying this prayer with his disciples. This is part of his prayer. Make them holy. Remember, that's our goal is to be holy, to be transformed. Make them holy by what? By your truth. Isn't that incredible? Jesus is praying to his heavenly Father. Make them, us, holy, separated, transformed by your truth. In the word and in the spirit. Teach them your word, which is truth. Word, truth, synonymous together in there, in that scripture. Incredible. Paul went on to say in Ephesians 4, 21, since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, he goes on to finish his scripture. But Paul sort of precludes all that with saying, since you know about Jesus and his truth, 1 Timothy 2, 3 to 4 says, This is good. Pleases our Savior. Listen. It pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Do you, do you hear that? God says, I want you to understand this. this. This isn't a puzzle. This isn't a game. This isn't 
something that's like, oh, I've got to decipher this. What is he trying to say? No, God wants you to understand truth. He wants everyone to be saved. And, and this is how I start off our whole discipleship thing and, and understanding. Listen, I'm not throwing you junk. I'm giving you truth. And we have to make that commitment, that choice, that sacrifice to get into truth. Because there's a lot of false garbage out in this world right now that's trying to draw us in and away from God's word. Truth, we have to fully accept and believe that God is Lord of all. That we are messed up as sinners but only His Son, Jesus Christ, can redeem us. That's truth. So God says, I'm going to forgive you and give you new life and transform you into a new creation when we choose to engage and believe in Him. We've got to make that choice. We've got to say, I accept that truth. Now, I agree with that truth. Now, I'm going to exercise that truth. I'm going to engage in this. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, would you? Book of Mark. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring you one. Book of Mark. <clears throat> this is going to be our main source of inspiration for the next 90 days. This week, you're going to find somebody that you're going to hold accountable. They're going to hold you accountable, a discipleship partner, so to say, okay? It can be more than one. Two, three, the more the merrier. I don't care, but you've got to find somebody, okay? And as we read through the Bible, we're going to be doing a lot of reading through Mark. But there'll be other study helps, other books that we'll point to. But this is where we're going to find our focus. Because Mark is believed to be the first gospel written. <clears throat> other gospels quote basically all but 31 verses of Mark. This book contains more miracles than other books. Mark is basically about Jesus on the move. His beliefs are revealed by his actions. And I'm, I'm telling you, we are the kind of people, aren't we, that say, don't tell me what you believe, show me what you believe, Right? Well, we're going to see that this book is action. It's truth lived out. And for those of you that work out, you understand this. P90X is not a spectator video. It's not entertainment, right? If you've got P90X at home, you don't pop it in with a bowl of popcorn and sit down and watch it. Man, Tony's doing a good job. You know? Oh, Pam, yeah, she's working out good too. It's not a spectator thing, is it, right? It requires action and belief in those actions to see change lives. In the same way, you cannot be entertained by God's Word or by myself or by other people, okay? It requires action of the Holy Spirit within us, and our beliefs must be with, matched with our actions, okay? So we'll make sure you understand that. So as we open up the book of Mark here, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to read through Mark chapter 1 right now. I'm going to pause and stop. I want you to understand this. In Mark chapter 1, there's probably like 50 sermons, okay? I know. We've got a few minutes yet, Okay. So I'm going to read through this. I'm going to pause every now and then, highlight it. I'm going to say, repeat after me, so get ready. Okay, don't zone out on me. All right, so let's read. Mark chapter 1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare a way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way, for the Lord is coming. Make a straight road for him. Verse 4. This messenger was John the Baptist. He lived in the wilderness and was preaching that people should be baptized to show that they turn from their sins and turn to God to be forgiven. People from Jerusalem, from all over Judea, traveled into the wilderness to see and hear John. 
And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from camel hair, and he wore a leather belt. His food was locusts and wild honey. Yummy. He announced, Someone is coming who is far greater than I am. So much greater than I'm not even worthy to be a slave. I baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I love how Mark opens up his letter here. He basically makes an announcement that the Son of God is coming. Now in the other Gospels, Matthew and Luke, we have the birth of Jesus, the genealogies and all that kind of stuff, right? In Mark, we have the announcement, prepare the way, the Son of God is coming. By who? John the Baptist. Okay? So we have basically an earthly announcement being made. Take note of that. Let's move on. Verse 9. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. He was baptized by John in the Jordan River. When Jesus came out of the water, he saw the heavens split open. And the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved son, and I am fully pleased with you. Immediately the Holy Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness. He was there for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was out among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. Now, here comes a heavenly announcement. First, we had an earthly announcement by John the Baptist. Now we have a heavenly announcement by God himself. This is my son. How do you argue with that? Now maybe John the Baptist, okay, he looks like a wild man eating wild locusts, honey. Okay, grasshoppers, go for it, John, okay. So maybe you can argue with a wild man like that, that this is Jesus, Son of God. But how do you argue with the voice of God himself saying, this is my son? You can't. You can't. Let's read on. Verse 16 says this. One day as Jesus was walking along, oh, I'm sorry, let me back up to verse 14. Later on, after Jesus was arrested, or John was arrested by Herod Antipas, Jesus went to Galilee to preach God's good news. At last the time has come, he announced, the kingdom of God is near. Turn from your sins and believe this good news. Now Jesus makes the announcement of what we have to do, right? Verse 16, one day as Jesus is walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew fishing with a net, for they were commercial fishermen. Jesus called out to them, Come be my disciples, I'll show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and they went with them. A little farther up the shore, he saw Jesus, uh, he saw, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat, mending their nets. He called to them too, and immediately they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and went with him. Now, this is incredible to me because I think about this. These men are fishing for a living. This is their job. I make a living. I bring in my income by what I catch out in that water. And it says they left all of that just to follow Jesus. They left their income, their lifestyle, their homes to go follow Jesus. You talk about a commitment. You talk about pulling out of your pocket a, a part of the money to help pay for this program. They pulled out everything and left it behind to go follow Jesus. That was a huge commitment. Well, what Jesus said sort of floors me, and you're going to hear more about this in a couple weeks when Mark comes. 
But he says, come follow me. I'll show you how to fish for people. Have you ever stopped and just sort of zoned in on those words? I'm going to show you something that's more important, how to fish for people. I'm sorry, Jesus, what's more important than being alive right now? See, I fish to put food in my belly. I fish to take care of my family. I have a job to support me being alive, to have a house, to have clothes, and you know, to be able to just live. That's why I have a job. And Jesus says, you know what's more important than having a job to support yourself? Fishing for people. Think about this. Jesus says evangelism is more important than what we do 24-7. When you sit back and look at this scripture and think about what Jesus said, no, I want you to come follow me because I want you to show you how to fish for people. That's more important than fishing to stay alive. Oh, so where should this be on my priority list, Jesus? Come follow me. And they left everything at once. Jesus calls us, and the question is, what is our response? What is our response? To be taught a greater trade means giving up something. It means giving up something. Let's read on. Verse 21. Jesus and, and his companions went on to the town of Capernaum. And every Sabbath day he went into the synagogue and taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching, for he taught as one who had real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. A man possessed by an evil spirit was in a synagogue. He began shouting, Why are you bothering us, O Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One sent from God. Jesus cut him short. Be silent. Come out of the man. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and he left him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority that even evil spirits obey his orders. The news of what he had done spread quickly to the entire area of Galilee. Did you hear what the demon said? I know who you are. You are the Son of God. Even the demons know who Jesus is. We've heard John the Baptist say, there's one coming greater than I, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah. And then we hear God saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, right? And then we hear that even the demons cry out, I know who you are, the Son of God. There's no doubt about it. We know who Jesus Christ is. All have made the announcement. John the Baptist, God, demons. So what do we do with this? Seriously, who else do we need to hear from? Who else in this room right now says, I don't know if Jesus really is the Son of God. I mean, I know John the Baptist, okay, God, demons. I need somebody else to tell me that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, Really, who else? If we aren't convinced with truth with this, you never will be, will you? I don't know. I, I, I can't convince you. That's probably where I back up and say, I guess that's where God's Spirit steps in and just says, let me grab your heart. Let me open it up and twist it. Because this is the Son of God. You read on in verse 29. After Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue, they went over to Simon and Andrew's home. James and John were there. Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. He went to her bedside, took her by the hand, helped her sit up, and the fever suddenly left, and she got up and prepared a meal for them. That evening at sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus, and a huge crowd of people from all over Capernaum gathered outside the door to watch. 
So Jesus healed great numbers of sick people who had many different kinds of diseases. And he ordered many demons to come out of their victims. But because they knew who he was, he refused to allow the demons to speak. Next verse. The next morning, Jesus woke before, long before daybreak, went out alone into the wilderness to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. They said, everyone's asking for you. But he replied, we must go to the other towns as well. I will preach to them too, because that's why I came. Jesus didn't come just for one church. Jesus didn't say, I'm coming for True North and True North alone. I'm coming for just these disciples. I'm coming for just Capernaum. No, I've got to go to other towns. I've got to go to other places. I'm going to go all over the globe with this message of truth. And he does. So look, as he travels, next verse 39, throughout the region of the Galilee, preaching the synagogues, expelling demons from many people. A man with leprosy comes and kneels in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you want to, you can make me well again, he said. Moved with pity and compassion, Jesus touched him. I want to, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared. The man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way and told him sternly, go right over to the priest, let him examine you. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. So everyone will have proof of your healing. But as the man went on his way, he spread the news. How can you not tell everyone, right? Telling everyone what had happened to him. As a result, such crowds surrounded Jesus that he couldn't enter a town anywhere publicly. He had to stay out in secluded places. And people from everywhere came to him there. That's chapter 1. This is a summary of chapter 1. Jesus is the Son of God everyone knows it. That's chapter one. Jesus is the Son of God and everyone knows it. The sick, the demon-possessed, the disciples, the religious leaders, everyone. Let's go see Jesus. He is the Son of God. Now, why is it so important that we start off this Sunday, the beginning with this? Because here's the deal. We have to understand that there was an announcement and an arrival and an authentication that Jesus is the Son of God and real. Because if we don't believe that, then why be discipled? If you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then discipleship isn't for you. If you don't believe that this is true, then discipleship isn't for you. If you can't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you're not going to follow him. If you believe that Jesus truly is the Son of God, you will follow him. I believe a lot of Christians today do not look like Christians because they don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They've prayed the prayer, they've read the Bible, but they don't get it that Jesus is the Son of God. If Jesus were in here today, face to face with you and I, he'd be healing people, tossing out demons, doing all kinds of crazy miracles, touching those that have not been touched in a while, loving on people that have not been loved, and we'd all sit back and be truly amazed. But the question is, how many of us would truly believe he's the Son of God and we will follow him wherever he goes? He said, today, I'm going to walk over to Pettisville. You want to walk with me? I want to tell some people over there about Jesus. And then I'm going to, I'm going to walk over to Metamore and tell people about Jesus. And I'm going to walk here. And I'm going to, how many of us are going to go wherever Jesus says go? Worship team, would you please come forward? Here's our first step in being a disciple of Christ. We've got to see Jesus for who he is. Hebrews 1, 5, and 6 say this. 
For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. You are my son. Today I become your father. God also said this, I will be his father, he will be my son. And when he brought his supreme son, you guys hear this? Hebrews 1, 5 and 6. When he brought his supreme son into this world, God said, let all of God's angels worship him. If we don't see Jesus for who he really is, we can't be disciples. I'm trying to stress the point here, okay? We've got to see Jesus for who he is. That's the start of being discipled. Then we act upon it by going to him, and then we take our family and friends with us. I'm going to read this really quick. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. If we're continuing on, the story goes like this. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was home. Soon the whole house was filled with people. So packed with visitors, nobody had room from outside to come inside. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying their friend, a paralyzed friend, on a mat to Jesus. Now, if you remember the rest of the story, which we'll talk about next week, they ripped open the roof and dropped them in, right? Here's the deal. Our first job is to see Jesus for who he is. Spend this week. Go back, read chapter 1 of Mark. See who Jesus is as the Son of God. Then realize this. Then we have to act upon the truth by going to him. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. Spend time in prayer with him. Read in his word. And here's the last thing. Take our family and friends with us, like the four men did. Who is it in this church, outside this church, that you're going to disciple? Who are you taking with you? Who are you going to disciple along with you? You do not need a seminary degree. You do not need a, a master's or a bachelor's degree to be discipled. You just have an open heart that says, I want to follow Jesus. That's all you need. That's all you need. And if you're really serious about it, then you're going to say, there's somebody else that I want to go with me on this journey. Listen, like I said, spouses, you can't pick your spouse. You can journey with them. But the whole idea of being accountable is to somebody outside to connect with people in this church, okay? Because as we do this and we are connecting and holding one another accountable as a church following Jesus, I'm excited about what transformation will take place in our hearts. Transformation in our hearts means transformation in how we live. I'm looking forward to seeing this church body continue to be transformed obediently following Jesus Christ. Amen? Please stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. I thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I know if we were to read the other Gospels, we would have heard the angels proclaim it in song, in prophecy. But here as we open up Mark, we see simple servant John the Baptist saying, he's coming. And then you said it. Here's my son, whom I'm well pleased. And then the demons, the defiant demons who hate you, even proclaimed, he's your son. And here we are, simple human beings. Today, we get, we get to proclaim it. Your son is Jesus Christ. And as a disciple as your child, we want to follow him. So Lord, we ask that you start transforming our hearts now. 
as we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That He's the only one that can redeem us and cleanse us from our sins, what He did on the cross. If we haven't confessed that, Lord, we confess it to you now. Lord, work in our hearts. We ask for you to change our hearts, to draw us near, to commit to this, Lord, to holding one another accountable, to pray for one another, to encourage one another. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to worship you today. Change us, God. Transform us. We love you, Lord. Now we sing to you. In the name we pray. Amen.